When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. It's episode 87 of the podcast and we're here to recap the 2023 NHL draft. No podcast last week because we were in Nashville. We were doing the thing. We were actually there as the picks went flying and we were giving you live analysis. Make sure if you didn't read it yet to get over to flowhockey.tv where we have all of your NHL draft coverage. Lots of different things. We've got grades for the teams. I know people love that. Scouts hate it, but people, you you seem to read it. We have those there. We also have a lot of analysis about the different draft classes, teams that drafted their new number one prospects. So make sure you are checking all of that out. But today on the podcast, we're going to get to all the things that kind of have come out since the draft, the different things that we wanted to get to, some of the things that stood out. Also today, a robust question and answer period where we cover everything and I have them all organized by team. So we're going to go through that. Uh, We got tons and tons of listener questions. Often, you know, what about this pick? What about that pick? We're going to get into it today. So if you want to get into the nitty gritty of the NHL draft, we're going to do that here today. But we're going to start a little more general. And of course, you know, as always, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast if you haven't yet, because We've had uh, some great growth. We've seen a lot of new listeners. Hopefully, you've subscribed. If you haven't yet, make sure you do that on your podcast app of choice. Otherwise, you can watch us on flowhockey.tv or on YouTube. And of course, we're at Flow Hockey on YouTube. Make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel because we often have a lot of clips from this podcast. And we'll have quite a few from this particular episode because I'll be going on vacation soon. So you'll be able to see a lot of those there as well. So if you if you miss something or you want to catch up, make sure you check it out on YouTube. But let's get back to talking about the NHL draft. And the biggest thing for me, you know, obviously we saw, we knew what was going to happen at number one. Connor Bedard was the number one pick. Everyone saw that coming. Chicago gets their franchise face of the future. The, you know, the league gets another superstar in a big American market. There's a lot of things that are, are positives to that. And there are certainly a lot of people that probably are a little frustrated watching a team that, that had three Stanley Cups in the last decade here. Um, get a new kind of fresh start in the form of one of the best prospects we've had come through the draft. But we'll talk about the Blackhawks a little bit more later when we get into some of the individual classes that we're going to talk about. But it's something else that I think was interesting was the surprises kind of started right away. And you started hearing the rumblings about 24 hours before the draft that you know throughout the scouting community, there was a wide belief that Anaheim was going to take Leo Carlson. Now, there were some that weren't 100% sure There were some that were in disbelief. They thought there's no way they're going to pass on Adam Fantilli. But in the end, Pat Verbeek goes up there. They announced Leo Carlson. That was the guy they wanted. I think that the world championship really tipped the scales in favor of Leo Carlson, showing that he could play center, showing that he could be with skilled players. He's a high-character player. He's a highly intelligent player. And perhaps he's a better overall fit in that abrasiveness that, that 
uh, that Adam Fantilli plays with is a little bit different than what Leo Carlson brings. So you're getting kind of, you know, you've got your Mason McTavish already to give you some of that grit and abrasiveness and down your lineup. You've got a Leo Carlson. What does this mean for Trevor Zegris going forward for the Anaheim Ducks? Is he a center? Is he a wing? Where are they going to put him? What's the long-term outlook for a player like that? You obviously want him to have the puck a lot with the special things that he can do. Uh, but, you know, the, the Ducks have really built a solid young core, and that includes guys like Zegris. You think about Pavel Mintukov and, and Jamie Drysdale and, and you know, Mason McTavish, Troy Terry, who's on the older end for that, but still a guy that's coming through. And you just wonder, you know, what, what are the next steps the Ducks are going to be able to take here because they've built up a ton of good young talent, especially down the middle. And now they've got a big center who possibly could be their number one center for the long term in Leo Carlson. But that left Adam Fantilli to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And if you are the Columbus Blue Jackets, the decision could not have been easier when you stepped up to the podium. You saw it. We've got a big center. We've got a fast center. We've got a skilled center. We've got a physical center. That's all of them put together. Adam Fantilli, that's what you get. That is what the Blue Jackets have so sorely needed. And yet it's another University of Michigan player going to Columbus. I don't know how many Ohio State Columbus Blue Jackets fans cross over. I'm guessing a whole heck of a lot. And those Buckeye fans really have to stomach a lot of maize and blue on their red, white, and blue of the Columbus Blue Jackets because you've got Zach Wierenski. You've got now Adam Fantilli. You've got – you know, they also drafted Gavin Brindley. They drafted Kent Johnson. So there is a very significant Michigan connection to Columbus. But beyond that – what the Blue Jackets have now is that center that has been elusive to them. They've needed a number one center for a long time. Adam Fantilli is that guy. That's what he's going to be for them. That's what he looks like long term. And this is the kind of player that they've been waiting for. So there was a bit of a question, would Adam Fantilli go back to school? There is no debate anymore. He signed his NHL contract with Columbus. He was the first prospect from this draft class to sign his pro deal. He will be foregoing the remainder of his college eligibility, and he will go straight to the NHL next season. I thought, uh, you know, if Anaheim drafted Fantilli, maybe they could have let him go back on their timeline. Columbus is on a quicker timeline. This is a team that feels like they need to start competing and competing immediately. And now they have a player that's going to actually help them right away. Do I think that Adam Fantilli is going to have a Calder Trophy caliber season? I can't predict that. I don't think so. But I do think he's going to make an impact or make make a very good impactful year of out of his rookie year. And that's going to help them move forward. Now, you have to remember, Columbus doesn't have a rebuild kind they've been rebuilding to a certain extent but this is not a lineup that is is focused on a rebuild this is a lineup that's focused on competing even though they had such a, a terrible year last year with a lot of bad luck you think of Johnny Goudreau Patrick Liney Zach Wierenski you get all those guys healthy in the lineup and, and together then you add in guys like Kent Johnson who's a year wiser Cole Sillinger is he going to make that jump this year to be back in the NHL and be playing regularly. Um, you know, is David Juracek going to move up into their blue line? They obviously went out and bought in free agency as well, going and get Ivan Prover, or rather in the trade market, getting Ivan Provorov. You know, so they, they've made some significant moves in their organization to compete now. And Adam Fantilli just adds another layer to that. So now you've got Adam Fantilli in the lineup next season, and he's the guy that they haven't really had. 
Moving a little bit further down the list, you know, the San Jose Sharks get Will Smith, another guy who could potentially be a number one center, a play driver. At number five, we saw David Reinbacher go. And you know what? I have to say the Montreal Canadiens seem to be throwing up a lot of smoke through around the draft. You know, it seemed like they could be going between Reinbacher and Ryan Leonard. Ultimately, they go with the defenseman. I think they believe that Reinbacher is going to be a top pairing defenseman. And one thing I did want to pause on was there's something that can be pretty annoying covering prospects and I am so glad that we have people that that love prospects that want to follow the work that want to you know read into what we do now those of us that had David Reinbacher maybe lower in our rankings and I was one of them I had him in the top 10 but you know he was not one of my top tier guys I thought the forwards were better and I think that I still believe that that I would have if I were Montreal I would have rather picked a forward but there was a pretty significant amount of backlash to the point where the team actually kind of had to address it, where there were a lot of fans that were really angry about them not taking a different player over David Reinbacher. The thing is, is that David Reinbacher came into this draft as, as one of the guys that was viewed as a top defenseman in this draft class. He was a guy that was a top four player. He was a, a guy that we thought could really be, um, you know, uh, uh, a significant piece for a team. So it's not a huge reach to go and get the, the top defenseman. We saw other defensemen go. One pick later, a defenseman went, Dmitry Simashev, in one of the most shocking moments of the draft when, when Arizona picked Simashev. But what I'd say about the Reinbacher thing, the backlash was ridiculous because there is so much we don't know about these players. Yes, there are players that I like better than others. There are probably players that, that fans preferred. Fans weren't happy about Shane Wright last year, not drafting Shane Wright and taking your eye Slavkovsky. The jury's going to be out on that one for a little bit longer, but Slavkovsky looked pretty darn good when he was when he was healthy and when he was starting to kind of get his his game going. Now that he's going to be healthy this year, you know, we'll have a chance to reassess, you know, and, and that's another thing where I didn't think Slavkovsky was the best pick available, but that's what Montreal chose. And so to see the backlash for a player that probably most of the fan base has not even seen more than highlights of, because let's face it, Reinbacher didn't play in a league that's as easily accessible as the CHL and other things like that. If you were watching him, you probably saw clips of video. I mean, that's pretty much how I had to watch him, although I did get to see him live at the World Junior Championship. But watching a, a broad amount of games and trying to generate a, a significant opinion, I thought it was just ridiculous that the kid faced any backlash whatsoever because he's just getting started. And he also signed his entry-level contract. He's more than likely going to go back to Switzerland next year. He's going to continue to develop there. And, you know, he's going to get opportunities with Team Austria. He's going to play at high levels. And that is going to help his development going forward. But I, I just thought to be angry at the player and to direct some vitriol towards the player to the point where there was actually a fan that created a scrapbook of kind words for the kid because she felt so bad that there were so many fans jumping on him. I mean, that was just absolutely ridiculous. Reinbacher is going to be fine. Is he? Is he the pick that I would have made? No. Is he a fine pick? Is he a fair pick in that range? Absolutely. So a little soapbox for a minute. Everybody settle down. We're going to talk about Simashev a little bit later in the podcast because I did mention that's one of the biggest surprises of the whole thing. We're going to talk about that shortly. But I want to skip over him and go to Matt Michkov, who was not the first Russian taken, but he was taken by the Philadelphia Flyers, something that we suggested on this podcast as a, as a big possibility. And certainly that ends up happening. And what we learned about Michkov was that, you know, I think that he had good meetings with teams. Teams had felt that the meetings were positive, that he didn't necessarily, you know, the the the, the rumored character issues, they didn't get a feel for that. They didn't feel like that was going to be a, a huge hindrance 
So, you know, and I can understand if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you see a special talent like Mitchkov sitting there and your team doesn't take him. That can be kind of annoying. But at the same time, every team has their reasons. We actually have a question from a Canadiens fan about not taking Mitchkov that we'll get to later. But, you know, what I'd say to, to now Flyers fans, this is a new era. And, and Danny Breer states it clearly with this pick that, yes, he's a former Philadelphia Flyer. Yes, Keith Jones is a former Philadelphia Flyer, but they're not going to run things exactly the way that the Philadelphia Flyers have been doing it for a while. Yes, there's still a lot of old alumni that are involved in the guys that have their varying opinions. They've now added, you know, Patrick Sharp on the younger side and, and John LeClaire as some of the newer Flyers alumni that are going to be part of the decision-making process. So it's not the Bob Clarks and Paul Holmgrens who still have valuable opinions and guys that are going to be consulted on things. But Danny Breer just said, we are going big here. And, you know, you know, this is a pick that was way outside of, of the norm for Flyers. And I think that this is a pick that, that Flyers fans should be ecstatic about because if Matt Vaymichkov hits, he has a chance to be one of the best players in this draft. The hockey sense is off the charts. The skill is off the charts. This is a player who can make a significant difference for an NHL team. And I think that he's going to over time. We'll see what happens. He said all the right things at the draft. He says he wants to win a Stanley Cup. It's his lifelong goal. It's something he wants to do. And I think there's also a very clear desire for him to play in a big city, an American city, and a place where hockey matters. And I think that that came through in what he said and how things went with his interview. So I've got a lot of time for Matt Vaymichkov with the Philadelphia Flyers. Fascinated to see how all of that works out for them because obviously with the contract, with the situation in Russia being what it is, nothing is easy. There's plenty of risk there. But I love that Danny Briere was willing to take that risk and say, nope, this is a team that we are going to push forward. We are not going to continue to do things the same way. We are not going for safe picks. We're not drafting for size. We're drafting the best player available. And that was Matt Vaymichkov at that time. I think tremendous value at number seven. And now the Philadelphia Flyers move on. All right, we're going to talk a little bit quickly about some of my stray draft thoughts, the different things that I've kind of had pop up uh, over the last couple of days. And then also, you know, as I mentioned, you can go back and read our draft grades. We gave grades to the teams. And the team with the highest grade, the team that I think had the best night, was the team that had one of the easiest picks to make, but then also got a little bit lucky. So the Chicago Blackhawks are the number one draft class coming out of this draft. Connor Bedard at the top was going to make it very difficult for them to be beat anyway because I think that there's a significant gap between him and the rest of the field in terms of the quality of prospect and what he's going to ultimately be able to do as an NHL player. I think we're talking about a generational goal scorer, a guy that's going to put a lot of points on the board, a guy that's going to play in significant games for Chicago down the line and be the face of their franchise. That's something that is really difficult to replicate in any of the other prospects. However, making that pick is easy enough. You get time to prepare for that. But what you can't prepare for is what's going to happen at 19. And so the Blackhawks draft had the pick at 19. There was a lot of rumors that they were going to try to trade up and see if they could get a better pick. Instead, they get the guy that I think they were really, really targeting and very keen on, and that is Oliver Moore. So Oliver Moore, you get the best shooter in Connor Bedard. You get the best skater in Oliver Moore. And now you've got two guys down the middle that you think are going to be a big part of your future. I think Moore is probably a middle six center, could be a number two, might be a really good number three. Either way, that's a player that's going to make a significant difference in your franchise. That's a guy that's going to make some, some significant ground up for you. Um, he's a good two-way player. He plays with incredible pace. He's going to Minnesota. He's going to probably be there for, I'd say, at least two years. And then you get him ready 
And now he's coming into a situation where, you know, you've already had a couple years of Connor Bedard. You're starting to get your team set up and everything kind of works out well. But with that, you know, they didn't just pick well there. They also got a guy who who could be a goalie of the future for them and Adam Guyon. They have Drew Camesso already. Now they have Guyon as well. That's two guys that, you know, have high-end capabilities. There's a lot of development time ahead for both of them. But I think that's something that's very strong. Roman Kansarov, another one of their second-round draft picks, high, high skill, entertaining, not a big guy, but played extremely well in Russia. He's one of those fascinating players where if he hits, then all of a sudden you've got more skill in your lineup. Got a little bit bigger with a Martin Mishiak, who's got some size, some power to his game. He's got that skill. Um, won a Clark Cup with Youngstown this year. He's going to probably be headed to Erie, where he was just drafted number one overall in the CHL import draft. So you got Mishiak getting some good North American training, got it in the USHL after coming over midseason, probably continues that with Erie and a lot of good things there. Great value pick and getting Nick Lardis late in the in the third round or getting him in the third round, a guy that was starting to trend towards a second-round pick. Good goal scorer, again, good pace. One of the better skaters in the draft and Nick Lardis as well. Got size. You got guys like Alex Ferrand, who's a good two-way player, plays an abrasive style. You got Marcel Marcel, one of the best names in the draft, and also a six foot five behemoth who's just really starting to come into his own. He's just starting to find his game. That's a good upside play. You know, even going down the, their list, they had plenty of draft picks. They've they address needs, they address size, they address skill. They get the best player in the draft in Connor Bedard. They get a great skater in Oliver Moore. I mean, the Blackhawks are really, really well set up. And you think about that compared to also last year, they got great pieces. Kevin Korchinski is going to be a you know potential top pairing defenseman, probably at least top four. That's a guy that's going to make a significant impact in their franchise. Frank Nazar had a bad injury last year. He was a first rounder, but he's got time to, to continue to develop. Same with Sam Renzel. He's got time to develop. He's going to Minnesota this year. He's going to be playing alongside uh, Oliver Moore. So all of a sudden, Chicago Blackhawks fans are going to be Minnesota Golden Gophers fans for a little bit as well. Those guys are key players that are going to be big parts of the Blackhawks future. There's a lot of development time between now and then. And you also have to like what Chicago's done at the NHL level. They're bringing in veteran talents, Corey Perry, Taylor Hall, Nick Felino, guys that are going to be stopgap veterans that are going to get them to be the bridge between where they're at right now and being a competitive team again. It's going to take a few more years. There's still a little bit more pain ahead. But the Chicago Blackhawks made a significant dent in their future, and I think they're way better positioned now following the draft than they were going into the draft. And we knew they were going to get Connor Bedard, but to get more, to get guys like Mishiak, Guyon, you know, they've got some really good players in their midst now that are going to give them many options. And not everybody's going to make it, but now they have a lot of options, and that's a great place to be. Real quick, also wanted to touch on the Arizona Coyotes. They drafted 12 players, and I just, you know, I wanted to get this stat out there because, okay, the shortest player they drafted was six foot. 11 of the 12 players they drafted were six foot two or taller. So I added it all up. If you stacked every one of these players, starting with Dmitry Simashev, six foot five, six foot four, Daniel Boot, six foot foot five, Michael Horabel, six foot seven. I mean, you, you stack these guys on top of each other, their entire draft class, 134 feet tall. So uh, that is the equivalent of the world's tallest thermometer in the Mojave Desert. I looked it up. I was like, what are things that are 134 feet tall? 
um, and uh, the world's tallest thermometer. And it, it, let me tell you, I've seen the pictures. It's pretty tall. But 134 feet in height, and that was clear that the Arizona Coyotes were, were drafting that way. And we've got a couple Coyotes questions, so I don't want to get too far into it now. But this was the biggest class. These were the guys, the behemoths. And there is upside. There is talent. There is risk. There's no question. When you draft bigger players, there are a lot of different things that come into play. You, know, you got the biggest goalie at six foot seven, Michael Robble. There, you know, is he going to hold up? Is is six seven too tall for a goalie? Now we're talking. You know, we're saying, you know, if you're not six to six foot two, you can't be a goalie. But if you're six foot seven, are you too tall? I mean, like those are the kinds of things that happen. But Robble, very interesting player. You know, Simashev and Boot, two players, Russians. You know, they're, they're gonna they're friends. They've been part of the same group. You know, having both of them might actually be the better thing than having just one or the other. Now you're giving him both a reason to come and come sooner. Um, and so that's going to be another factor that they're going to have to work into. But the Coyotes went big and they are going long term. I think that the players that they have are not going to be quick contributors to their roster. They're going to be down the line, maybe back when we have this this arena situation settled. Perhaps that's when these players are going to be ready to make an impact, and then that's going to be really important for the future of their franchise. One last thing to touch on: I think the best value pick of the first uh, of the draft was probably Riley Height, who came in at the last pick of the second round. I had him as a first rounder. I understand the issues with size and skating; absolutely true. You know, does he do enough? Is he versatile enough? But I think his vision, his passing ability, his playmaking ability, those are high end traits, and so I had. Them as the best, the best value pick. I, Riley Height going to Minnesota. So if you look at my list versus theirs, so Charlie Stramel was one of the guys I had a little bit lower. I think twenty eighth on on the Flow Hockey Top One Hundred. He goes twentieth to Minnesota, and then they get my thirtieth guy in Riley Height, who was a guy that you know was definitely in, uh, among the debated players for kind of going back and dropping into the second round. I think that's a good pick for Minnesota. I think that they they got a little more. Um, offensive capability there. They went size with Charlie Stramel, and then they get a high-skilled player late in the second round. Great opportunity for them uh, to get in there. All right, so we're going to move into our Q&A, but before we do that, I just want to very quickly touch on what what is coming up on Flow Hockey because you guys, we've got a summer full of all kinds of stuff, and I'm really excited about that because we've got the Beauty League. They're back for another summer. We had them last year. Really fun. It's the premier summer hockey league of the summer. Uh, you know, the, you've got NHL players, you got college players, you got, you know, European pros, guys from all levels and all playing for the love of hockey, playing for the love of their community. A lot of Minnesota based guys, and it's all for a good cause as well. All of the proceeds from that league going to charities, and it's a great time. If you get a chance to go see it in Edina, that's awesome. But if you don't, Come check it out on flowhockey.tv. We'll have games on Wednesday starting on January, or July 12th. We'll have games. There's three games a night, and you'll get a chance to see NHL stars just kind of playing a little bit loose, playing a little bit more fun, a little more lively. So make sure you check that out. We'll have every single game of the Beauty League on flowhockey.tv from the very beginning, July 12th, till the end when we get to the John Scott Cup. That's right, the John Scott Cup, the championship of the Beauty League, probably the most coveted trophy in summer hockey 
right there is the John Scott Cup. It's a great fun. It's a lot of fun. Make sure you also check us out on YouTube because we will have highlights from each game. We will also have plenty of other content surrounding this. And we've got some great stuff that we had even last year, like mic'd up goalies and different things about what even is the Beauty League. It's a pretty cool endeavor, and it's it helps a lot of people. So make sure you check that out because we will have that on Flow Hockey starting July 12th on flowhockey.tv, the Flow Sports app. Make sure you check it out. We will have it for you. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, if you really need to scratch that hockey itch in the summer, it's a great way to do it. Those guys are trying all sorts of crazy stuff. You never know what's going to happen. Okay, let's get back to the draft and let's get back to your questions. I got questions from all across the internet. We've got DMs, we've got tweets, we've got you know YouTube comments, we've got it all. And so the way I've structured this Q&A is I want to make sure that everybody you know, that asked the question had a chance to get it in. Some I'll answer very quickly. Some I'll answer a little bit more in depth. But we had multiple questions from various teams, and I'm going to break it out by team. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Um, and so not every single team will be covered, but a lot of them are, and they're very specific questions. So if you didn't get your question on for this week, try and ask us again. And if I can't answer it on the podcast, I'll just answer it personally because I guess that's what I do. Uh, so that's that. That's the Midwestern values, I guess, that I have is that I, I, I feel guilty if I don't answer it. So, But I think we got to all the questions that were sent to me. And we're going to start us off with the Anaheim Ducks. And this question comes from Chris via Twitter. He says, how do you feel about the Ducks picks after the first round? Are there any of those picks we should be excited about? And then also, I just wanted to get this one in because it's similar. This one came from Christian via direct message. So you won't see it on the screen. But Christian asks, can you give your thoughts on new Ducks prospects, Mayatovic, Terrence, and Sidorov? You seem to be higher than the consensus on these players the most, as well as a quick thought on Kyle Kukinen, who don't hear much about him for 18 goals in 39 games as a freshman, seems pretty good. So Kyle Kukinen, who plays for Michigan Tech, um, was drafted last year, and he is, or two years ago, I believe, and he is a highly skilled player, had a great first year of college hockey. Um, I'm excited to see where he goes next. I think that's a guy that that is really, his game is trending in the right direction. But let's talk a little bit more about the players. And as, as I pull up the Ducks draft list, because I think that, that they had a very strong draft. I mean, you started off, you started off with Leo Carlson. No question. That's that's an important one. And he's the guy that's going to be the centerpiece of your entire team. He's the guy that's the, the centerpiece of your rebuild now, um, even though you have a lot of good young talent. So that's a guy that make, becomes very important. But I really liked what the Ducks did throughout the draft. Nico Mayatovic, who they picked with the first pick of the second round, was a guy that if they didn't pick him there, he was not going to be around real long. I, I'd heard from a number of teams that when he was the first name off the board, they were pretty disappointed because uh, that was a guy that they were targeting and they wanted. He's got size. He's got skill. He played on that really good Seattle team in the WHL. He does a lot of things well. You know, I thought that, you know, was that higher than I had him? It certainly was, but I think that that was the way he was trending. He was not going to be there at their next second round pick at 59. Um, but then they're going to get Kerry Terrance, who I think is a great skater, plays for the Erie Otters, had a great run with the USU 18 team at the World Under 18 Championship. Um, you know, I think he's a great story. I think he's a hard worker. Um, and so will his offensive game catch up to some of the things that he can do with his feet? That's going to be the big question. Another big, you know, they they picked, uh, I believe, six or seven players, six players 
from my top 100. I'm not saying that they were drafted on my list or anything because I don't think they were reading it. But, you know, they, they also had um, a number of guys, or sorry, they had five guys off of that. Um, another guy that I had listed as a late, intriguing late rounder, wasn't sure where he was going to go, was the guy that they took with their last second round pick, and that's Damian Clara, six foot six goalie, elite athlete, Italian international, which is kind of makes him a little bit different than some of the prospects you see. You know, played in Sweden this year. I think that there are a lot of tools there. He's going to need some additional training, but all of a sudden now you've got a guy that's, hey, hey, this could be a guy we look at down the line. If he develops right, we got a chance. Um, you know, I think also Colson Petra, uh, one of their guys they got early in the third round, you know, good two-way guy, effective, like the kind of player you want to see in the third round, a kind of guy where, you know, you're not going to spend a huge high pick on him, but he helps you win. I think that's a good place to be. Um, and then Yegor Sidorov, who is uh, a Belarusian um, by, by nationality, had a great year in Saskatoon. He just really showed his offensive capabilities. I think his skating is going to need work, and I think he's going to need, you know, to to be um, uh, a little more versatile of a player and play better off the puck. But he gives himself a chance. He's a really interesting guy, and I think that that's going to be one pick that that helps the Ducks push them forward. And then one of the kind of wild card picks they had in the fifth round, 129th overall, Rodwin Dionisio, who played for uh, the Swiss national team at the World Junior Championships, scored some pretty goals there, played for Saginaw and Windsor um, this year, played for Windsor for the most part this year. And he has tons of skill, like really good hands, very average defensively. Um, but, you know, he is uh, he's got size. He's got some skating ability. That's an interesting player. So I think the Ducks overall, their entire draft package very strong very strong it allows them to push their prospect system forward and i thought that, that was a really good place for them to leave themselves so chris and christian uh thanks for the questions the anaheim ducks very well positioned going forward all right as i mentioned we get a few arizona coyotes questions and this one comes from luke luke asks what are your thoughts on the simashev and boot picks and their upside also curious why some had simashev in the top 10 Another saw him as a late first round pick. Thanks. And then also uh, we had another one from Nam Danan, which which is kind of along the same uh, along the same lines, which says, uh, "Please spend some time on Arizona's big moves: Simashev, Boot, and Harabel." There's been a lot of criticism, and I'd like to get your take. So that's from Luke, and also from Nam Danan. And so, what I'd like to say about these two, uh, the, you know, this group is that you know Arizona showed that they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid to take a swing. They weren't afraid to take risks, and they weren't afraid to, um, you know, go with a type. And that's interesting. You know, I think that the what what Dmitry Simashev to get to the first question about why he was there was such a wide range. No one denies the ability. He's one of the elite defenders of the draft. He has size. He has mobility. He's a highly intelligent player. My concern is that I don't think that the offensive upside is there for him to be a top pairing defenseman. Uh, I think it's possible. I think he has a chance. I'm a little bit concerned about that. So I had him lower on that list, but also lower because of the Russian factor as well. You know, who are the Russians that you want to take a chance on? Well, you've got Matt Mitchkov is a special player. He is, he is unique. He is something that, you know, doesn't come along very often. Big defensemen do come along often enough. Next year's draft is actually going to be full of them. But I do think that Dmitry Simashev projects very comfortably into an NHL lineup. Do I think he was good enough to be the sixth overall pick? 
No, but at the same time, I can understand and could make the argument for them because I think that there's a lot of value in in getting bigger on the back end. Daniel Boot at number 12, also earlier than I probably would have taken him, but at the same time, totally get that bet. A six foot five guy with hands and can score. So, you know, you're taking lessons from teams that win, and the teams that win are, you know, often have a lot of big, heavy guys. There are also teams that have won the Stanley Cup with highly skilled, very quick teams, but there still always has to be that element of heaviness in some way. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks, sure, they had Patrick Kane, but they had guys that were played a heavier game, like a like a Marion Hosa, who maybe you don't think of him as a physical guy, but that's that heavy game matters. He's a big man. He's able to, you know, impose his will. Brent Seabrook, you know, Duncan Keith, not a big guy, but a strong guy, you know, so there's a lot of different things there. And then you look at um, even what, you know, Colorado, they went out, they went and got some of the bigger guys. But they also had some of the smaller guys like Kale McCarr and Devin, Devon Taves. And, um, but, you know, they also had some, some girth back there. They went, that's why they went and got Jack Johnson. That's why they kept Eric Johnson around for so long. They needed some of that heaviness. And so I think Arizona went, in that way. And we talk a lot about ceiling with players. And I think that when we talk, you know, often we say, well, the the high skill player has the higher ceiling. Not always true. Not always true. I think that the guys that have the highest ceiling are often the, the best athletes, the guys that, and I think that that's something that Arizona got a lot of here. Um, I think you've got some tremendous athletes in Simashev and Boot. You've got that with Michael Harabal. You know, you look at even the smallest guy they drafted at six foot, Tanner Ludke. You know, th- there's there's elements of their game where they they can play a lot of different ways. What I do think is risky with with Arizona, it's not just because these guys are Russian. The one thing is is that you've got to also get them not only to buy into coming over to your team, but you have to get them to buy into your development plan for them. Truth be told, the KHL is not a good league for player development. It is a challenging league. It is a league where young players are going to be forced to to play a certain way. But the thing is, is if Daniel Boot doesn't get regular minutes at the KHL level next year, that's not great for his development. If Daniel, uh, if if you know Dmitry Simashev, Daniel Boot do not get the minutes that they need to at a higher level, that's not going to help push them forward. Now, hopefully if they're not going to play in the pro level, they'll send them back to the U20 level, or maybe they'll send them to the VHL, which is the second division pro in Russia. But the thing is, is that you have so much less control over a Russian player's development in some of the most critical years. And, and sometimes they don't want to go to the AHL. Sometimes, you know, they'll sign and they will go to the AHL, but it's like, this is it. I'll do one year. But, and if they're not ready, they might go back. We saw the New York Rangers, ping-ponged uh you know the um why am i blanking on his name all of a sudden uh their their top pick um a couple years ago and you know just continually bouncing him back and forth and then he gets traded to vancouver and now he's back in the khl so you know like that's that's something where it doesn't work really well for for those players and they have leverage in a way that other players do not which could make things challenging for Arizona. That said, if Simashev and Boot hit their ceilings, which I think are among the highest in this draft class, they have potential superstar players, franchise-altering players that are going to play significant roles in their organization. Michael Harabal was my number one goalie for the draft. I think that he's going to have a really good opportunity to be a number one down the line, but he's got to develop as well. 
And I think the risk that Arizona takes on is that lack of control and and that lack of of being able to kind of put those players where they need to put them when they need to put them there to get them to maximize their potential. That's where I see the risk. So we're going, we went in depth there, but yeah, that's, there's a lot, there's a lot. And I will be fascinated, absolutely fascinated to follow the Arizona Coyotes 2023 draft class the whole way. I want to see how this pans out. They made their choice. It's going to be fascinating, a fascinating case study in, you know, taking risks and taking big bets on size. All right, we're going to move to the Buffalo Sabres now. So the Sabres are up next, and the next question we have is actually includes the Detroit Red Wings and the Boston Bruins. So Puck Sage asks, how would you rank Boston, Buffalo, and Detroit on their drafts against each other in the league overall? So how are we going to rank these teams? So we've got Boston, Buffalo, and Detroit. Well, Boston, it's not really fair. They didn't have a, a first-round pick. It was not a strong class. They don't have high picks, and that, unfortunately for them, puts them in a real bind. Um, and, you know, the the Bruins as a whole have not had great drafts lately, mainly because they just haven't had picks. Their first pick this year was at number 92. Um, I, you know, I like the picks of Beckett Hendrickson and Ryan Walsh. Um, you know, I think that those are, are good players. Casper Nassen is, is a guy that could be um, a player down the line. He's got the size. You know, you, you don't mind them taking chances on that. Uh, you know, Christian Kosadinsky, uh, big body on, on D, you know, but I, I would put them, you know, of the three teams we're talking about, they would be last. But you look at what Buffalo did, and Buffalo would be the top team for me in this regard because they got Zach Benson at 13th overall. I had him number eight. Anton Wahlberg at 39. That was a great pick. At that time, I thought he was going to go a little bit higher. I had him in the 40s in my draft class. But then also Maxime Sturback, Gavin McCarthy, those are two of the top defensemen in the USHL this season. And also getting Gavin McCarthy, who has the added bonus of being a local kid. So you get that opportunity as well. So you get you know two good defensemen there. Sturback, a really talented defender and a guy that I think is going to have a lot of time to, to develop into a good player. Scott Ratzlaff was one of the six goalies that I ranked in my top 100. Um, he's not a big guy, but he's athletic. He's quick. He's got you know some some great opportunities in front of him as a junior. Um, you know, so I really like that. They also you know took a, a longer term project in Sean Kahane, um, and then Noren Pinoka. I did not have any views of this year, uh, but he was their pick at 205. But you look at those, and you know. They had multiple players from the top 100. I think Anton Wahlberg at 39, that could be the guy that really pops off in this class that we would say, hey, how are we so low on him? I loved him when I saw him in November. I didn't necessarily have the the the, the desire to put him as a, as a first-round talent, but I think there were teams that were even thinking about him in their top 32, um, and so that's going to be fascinating. Zach Benson, meanwhile, big-time player, really looking forward to that, to seeing how he pans out. But then you go over to Detroit, and we we got multiple questions about Detroit, so I don't want to spend too much time on them. But they had a they had picks in volume, and I liked you know their first two picks were fine. Nate Danielson, Axel Sandin, Pelica, uh, you know, getting Trey Augustine. And, you know, they drafted two goalies uh, in this in this class, which was an interesting move. Um, I like Andrew Gibson, the defenseman they got out of the Sioux Greyhounds. Um, Noah Dower Nilsson is a is a high upside play, so I think that they got some good players in that in that draft. But I just think Buffalo has more. More guys that I think could make a more significant impact um, in their future, especially Zach Benson, who was on the board 
when the Red Wings picked, but they went with the big centerman, Nate Danielson, instead, which I don't really have a problem with. I think it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, for me, you know, those I thought Buffalo had a really strong draft. You know, they were one of the teams that I gave a high grade to. You read the full grades over at fullhockey.tv. And then Detroit, you know, I thought was maybe a little less imaginative, maybe a little less taking swings, a little safe, if you will. Um, and that's the kind of questions that we're going to get about them in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, we have another Buffalo Sabres question, and this one comes via Brett. And Brett asks, is Benson or Kulik the better Sabres prospect? And this is a great question because it is something that I debated. So I wrote a piece called, you know, which teams drafted their new number one prospect? And I didn't include Benson. And that was actually one of the things that I thought longest and hardest about. Because if you've watched this podcast or listened to this podcast or or heard me talk about Zach Benson, you know how much I like the player. You know how much I believe in the player, even though he's smaller, he's so tenacious, he's so skilled, and I believe he's going to make an impact. The thing about a guy like Zach Benson is you have to go to the right situation. I think Buffalo is a perfect situation for him. He doesn't have to be one of the primary prospects. He's just another in a long line of several young players, and he's he can fit in more in Boston. The thing that I think, the reason that I separate Yuri Kulik and Zach Benson a little bit, so Kulik is a year removed from his draft. He had a sensational scoring season in the AHL this year. He's a little bit bigger. I think he has a little bit more potential to be a top of the lineup scorer where I could see Zach Benson being more of a middle six energetic scoring player that's going to produce, but maybe not have as big of an impact as a potential goal scoring sniper like Coolidge does. So, so that's a player that I really like a lot. I also have to throw Devin Levi into the mix here because what if he really does top out as a number one goaltender? If that's, if that's what we view as his future, and I believe that's a reasonable expectation given his history and what he's proven. What's more valuable, you know, a, a second or third line wing, a first line wing, or a great goaltender, a number one goaltender? I'd probably take the goaltender. It's just the chances of, of him being there. So like Kulik, Benson, and you've got, you know, Savoy still. You've got others in that mix. You've got Levi. You know, there is a lot to like in Buffalo. Pretty, pretty sensational stuff there. They got a great class, but I would take Kulik in that one versus one to answer that question more definitively. It's very close. All right, we're moving on to the Chicago Blackhawks, a team that I said had the best draft, and I think people want to know a little bit more about their day two picks. And the next one comes from at Snowdad14. Did the Hawks reach a little bit by taking Adam Guyan so high in the second round? Do you think there was a better option available with pick number 35. So this is where things get interesting. I think the second round is one of the most fascinating of the draft because it is where you can really make some significant ground in your prospect pool. If you get the second round right, you get a little bit more leeway on the guys you took in the first round. If you have multiple second round picks, as Chicago did, you get a chance to take a few swings. Here's the reason that I don't think Guyon was a reach. The Blackhawks' next pick was 44th overall. Adam Guyon would not have been there at 44th overall. I am pretty certain of that. There was going to be a run on goalies. We thought Harabo would be the first goalie to go, but Chicago preferred Guyon. And there's nothing wrong with that because Guyon has a little bit of track record. 
He's a bit of a raw prospect. He's going to need more development time. He's going to the USHL next year, as far as we know. And as he goes there next year, he's going to get more development time. Then he goes to the Minnesota Duluth, and then he's going to be a number one goalie at the college level. So he's going to be a gradual process. It's going to take time. Goalies are risky, but this was a year where I think goalies were going to go early and often, and we saw that. That that's that is what happened. That we you know we saw guys like you know Carson Bjarnason, Trey Augustine, Krabbel, Guyon, uh, Damian Clara. Um, you know those guys went off the board pretty quickly on day two, and so I don't think it's a reach because that's a guy that if they didn't take him then, they wouldn't have gotten him, and they maybe wouldn't have gotten the goalie uh, an additional goalie. And while I really still have faith in Drew Camesso as being a top tier goalie prospect, a guy that can make uh, be a goalie of the future, there having more options available to you is better, and that's what I think Guyon gives them is more options, and that's that's a good thing. And I don't think that was a, a reach given where the goalies were going to go in this draft. Our next question comes from Hegonomics, I'm going to say. I, I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. You never know with Twitter handles. It's just it's a, it's a guess. But this question is, why did Oliver Moore fall? What are his perceived weaknesses? So Oliver Moore drops down in the draft. Uh, I had him as a number 12 pick on my top 100. He goes 19th to Chicago. I think it was a fortuitous drop. This is one of those things where there were probably a lot of either or arguments that were going, and I bet Oliver Moore was in a lot of them before he fell to 19. Um, and so he might have been the next guy on a lot of lists. But again, teams are just going off their list at that point. They're trying to pick the best available player. They're going to view it as uh, differently, and maybe they're just they wanted a defenseman, they wanted a big center, they wanted a big forward, they wanted you know something, whatever. So the things that that Oliver Moore, the knocks on Oliver Moore, just to point them out. You know, great skater, all that stuff. But, you know, I think that there is some doubt that he's going to be able to have a high-end offensive output because either he's not thinking of a game or processing the game as fast as he's moving or, you know, he his, his hand skills are such, which are good, but are such that they might not allow him to produce at the higher level. Now, you look at his point production this year, he was lagged far behind USA's top line. He was the second line center. He had different line mates throughout the year. But I think what we saw with Oliver Moore is that he can create so much on his own. He can do so many things. I think it was, you know, just basically the way the draft board worked out. It's luck for Chicago because I think that he's that good of a player. But yes, there is at least some concern. He's not the biggest guy. You know, he's just shy six feet. You know, he's he's definitely gotten stronger. He's got good two-way capabilities, but sometimes you can get a little bit tunnel vision-y and then all of a sudden you're you're starting to wonder, you know, is he processing the game fast enough to to move it with his hands? So that's something to think about there. But I really like the player. I think the Blackhawks got an absolute steal at 19 with him, and I, I got a lot of time for him. All right, we move on now to the Colorado Avalanche. We're going to try to zip through a couple of these quick. Um, this one comes from Luke, and Luke asks, one, Avs fans seem to be down on Richie, Callum Richie, who they picked in the first round. Discuss what kind of player he is and why the Avs fans should be excited for him and, and the time frame to the NHL. Two, how do you differentiate in your rankings between a high floor, lower ceiling, safe prospect and a lower floor, higher ceiling player? You know, that's a really good question, uh, that second part from Luke. But let's answer the first one. Callum Ritchie, I thought, was a great value pick. I listed him as now the number one prospect in Colorado's system. Not a very high buyer to clear right now. Um, you know, Oscar Lawson is still a, a good player. He's got plenty of time to, to, to develop. But I just think that Callum Ritchie, uh, with his size and his skill, 
are going to be a, a chance, give him a chance to be a better player. So I like Callum Ritchie quite a bit. I think that he's a great pick and a great fit for Colorado and where they're going. Um, he played through injury this year, you know, so we didn't even get to see him at full go. And so that was absolutely something that we would want to know a little bit more about. So, you know, seeing how he can play when he's fully healthy. Um, this is a guy that, that battles and he's got high compete level and he's got skill. So that's a good thing. Um, in terms of differentiating in between players with a high floor, low ceiling or lower floor, high ceiling, it really just goes player by player. How high is the floor? It's really tough to know until we see these players in the NHL. We really don't, we can't judge their floor that well. But you look at a guy like a Colby Barlow, he might not have the highest ceiling, but he's already at such a high level that you feel like, hey, he's just, he just needs to incrementally get better and, and, you know, a little quicker here or a little one thing, a degree difference here or there. And that's going to allow him to have success. And that's why, you know, you like those players when they get picked. But, you know, I always try to err on the side of, you know, who do I think is going to be the best player? And then if the ceiling is second line center, versus a number four defenseman, I might actually go with the center that time because I feel like forwards are a little easier to project out, just a little bit. It's not it's not easy by any means. But I think in a lot of cases, you might go the other way. You might say the defenseman is better. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, for me, upside carries a lot of value. It carries a lot of risk, but it carries a lot of value. And I will always err on the side of the player with the higher upside versus the player with the higher floor. Um, I think there were a lot of high floor selections earlier in the draft, and that's where you know my my list. You can see the differentiation between my list and what an NHL list looks like. There are a lot. There's a lot more of risk management going on in NHL scouting departments because they want players that are going to play in the NHL. You can't miss on your first round pick anymore. You just can't do it. And so you're sometimes you're going to go safe, and I think that some teams did. All right, we're going to move on to the Columbus Blue Jackets and what a couple of days they had. Um, this one comes to us from Dan. Dan asks, with CBJ's forward-heavy draft this year and a defensive-heavy draft in the last two, how do you see them making the next step? Well, you know, I think with Columbus, the next step is kind of just getting back to being a competitive team. And I think they're there already. They have the veteran talent. They have the guys. And this year's draft, while they did go forward heavy, only drafted one defenseman and one goaltender. Uh, the rest were forwards. Um, you know, most of those guys still are a ways away. You got Adam Fantilli, who can make an immediate impact. He's a guy that's going to be on your team right away. That's going to help you take another step. David Juracek coming in, that's going to help you take another step. As long as Columbus hit on these picks like we think they did in these last two drafts, they've got players that are going to propel themselves to you know a higher level, and that in turn will propel the team to a higher level. So I think they're there. I you know it may may not be a satisfying answer, but I think that these this starting with next year, big step forward. I don't know if it means playoffs or winning a round or anything like that, but it's a big step forward from where they were, which is one of the worst records in the NHL. There's more things they got to do. I think the goaltending situation is going to have to be addressed more directly. It's going to be have to something that is addressed in a long-term manner. And I don't necessarily know if, you know, what they have right now addresses it adequately. That's probably the next thing they got to focus on. But I don't think that's necessarily going to come through the draft. I think they're going to have to do that in free agency, in trades, however you do that. They now have a more robust prospect system. They have assets that they can use. So that's how they take the step forward is by addressing more positions of need. All right. Now we get to the Red Wings, and I got 
more questions about the Red Wings than I did about any other team. And so I'll answer these one by one. Some of them are similar, um, so I might repeat myself just a little bit. But let's go to what we got from Peter. And Peter, who is a frequent questioner of this podcast, and we appreciate that, MVP, love that. Do you think the Wings are loading up on too many prospects with the high floor, low ceiling, and need to take some swings at more boom or bust guys? It's a really good question because I think if the if there was one thing that I came away with from the, the from the Detroit Red Wings draft, it was like they got a lot of guys that are going to play in the league. I don't know if they got a single star in that mix. And you don't have to get a, dra- a star in every draft. It's impossible to get a star in every draft. But I think there were stars available to them. I think there were guys that were potential stars available to them at number nine and at number 12. I do think Nate Danielson is going to be an effective NHL player, efficient player, fine player, skilled enough, scores enough. Maybe he rounds out a little bit more. Maybe he becomes a little bit more dynamic. Axel Sandin Pelica, one of the best puck movers in the draft. Not a big guy. Going to be interesting to see how he fits into the long-term plans here. you got Sider. you got Edvinson. you got a number of guys that can really move pucks well. Is the defense going to be strong enough? I think Sandin Pelica is a fine defender at his size. I think he's a competitor. I think that he's going to be a good fit. But, you know, you start looking down Detroit's board and – you know, one of the picks that was brought up to me that was among the most puzzling um, among scouts, this is among scouts, was was the fact that, you know, they picked Brady Cleveland in the second round. And I happen to like Brady Cleveland an awful lot as a player. I had him on my top 100. I had him towards the bottom of the top 100, but he was on it. Um, and the fact that he was the first defenseman taken off the national team development program was quite surprising. But he's a six foot five physical defenseman with almost no offense at all. And that felt like that pick where it's like, this guy's going to play. He might not make a huge impact, but he's probably going to hit a few people. And I thought that that pick was a little bit indicative of that draft. I think Andrew Gibson is very similar, you know, a very, uh, you know, ordinary but but solid defenseman, a guy that I think is going to play games. I really like Trey Augustine. I think, you know, getting a goalie at 41st overall when you have Sebastian Kosa in your midst um, as a guy that I do think is going to be a, a solid player when, you know, you basically had, you, you've got a ton of different goalies. Are any of them going to be your goalie of the future? Who's going to be the guy that takes over ultimately for Billy Huso? You know, so you're doubling down on a position. They actually drafted another goalie later. You know, I think one of the more interesting picks was Noah Dower Nilsson at 73rd overall. I think that's a, a fine place to get a player like that. He was great in the U-20 level this year in, in Sweden, and internationally, it was really hard to spot him in a lot of those games. So you say, which player is he? And that's what you kind of want to know. So I feel like, yes, if 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 Detroit's going to move forward, they got some stars, Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider. You know, I don't know if Simon Edvinson is going to be a star defenseman. I think he's going to be an effective at, a defenseman. I don't know if Nate Danielson is going to be a star forward. I think he's going to be an effective forward. Axel Sandin Pelica, probably a four, you know, a number four defenseman at his best. Um, so as we look at the, the the rebuild and the plan, does Detroit have enough game breakers? And that is the question I still can't answer. And so to Pete's question, I think that there is absolutely concern that these are players that have low ceiling. They, they might not be that low of a ceiling, but they certainly have higher floors. 
And so you're, we just had that discussion. I like to err on the side of risk and upside, but I'm also not making multi-million dollar decisions. Um, you know, so that is where it comes. But, you know, I look at what Detroit is doing. I look at what they did in free agency and I say, okay, where is this going? What is this ultimately going to lead to? Cause now you've, now you're outside of the time. They've never had much lottery luck. So that hasn't, that hasn't helped them very much, but you haven't been able to pick super high. They, they hit on their guys that they got with cider and Raymond, but you know, you need more than that. You know, Dylan Larkin, how long is he going to be able to carry the mantle as a number one center in the league? You know, these are the things that I'm not as sure about. And all of a sudden it says, you know, where are the guys that are going to carry this? And, and, you know, do I think they're going to be more competitive? Yes, I think they will be as a franchise. Do I think they're going to be competing for Stanley Cups anytime soon? Not really. Um, and and that's that's where you stay. Well, we've, we've trusted in the plan that Steve Eisenman had. I think he's a very smart general manager. I think he's done a lot of great things as a general manager. I think that he has an opportunity to do even more great things. But I do think that, is it a super inspiring prospect group? Not really. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. So we'll see if that where that takes it. Um, and this, this question, next question comes from Jonathan. It's right along the same lines, but I just want to double down on it a little bit. He said, thoughts on the Red Wings, first and second round picks. Lots of folks calling these safe picks, specifically Danielson, and the two second round defense. Thoughts? Yeah, Jonathan, let me tell you. It is, yeah, you're, I, they are safe. I, you know, I think that Nate Danielson is fine. You know, like, and, and a player that I think is going to play NHL games, a guy that I think is going to have a career, a guy that I think fits a, a hole that they had. You look at him, and, and we got a question about him and Marco Casper. Um, you know, I just think that if I'm Detroit, I'm looking to take bigger swings there because I've got Marco Casper coming down the middle. I've got a few other guys, you know, that, that I feel are longer term fits. Can I get one of these high upside players? that's available. Can I get a Gabe Perot? Can I get a Zach Benson? Can I get a Oliver Moore? I think those players had a higher upside or a higher trajectory than Nate Danielson, but Nate Danielson has a very conservative, safe game. Um, and then their second round strategy to me was a little bit puzzling because there were opportunities to get higher skill players. There was a lot of good value left on the board, you know, and then they went and got another goaltender, you know, early in the second round. Like some of those things just, to me, didn't make as much sense. And it's why I had a harder time getting on board with what Detroit did here. Um, but again, I think, like I said, you're trying to get NHL players at an NHL draft. You're not always going to get stars. I think that that's what Detroit had is just they got guys that are going to play. And that's a good thing. But are they guys that get you through? There, there are guys that get you in. Or are they going to be guys that get you through? Are they going to be guys that get you over the hump? That's where I'm less clear. All right, our next question, also about the Detroit Red Wings, is also about the center position. And this is Jean Sebastian asking, are Jeff Carter and Mike Richards good comparables for Danielson and Casper? Um, you know, I would say uh, the Mike Richards, Marco Casper comparison is probably a little more apt than the Danielson Carter comparison. I mean, obviously, Jeff Carter was a high end goal scorer, a guy that was able to put up a lot of points. I do think that Nate Danielson has underrated skill. He's got sneaky hands and he's really got some some ability to put the puck in the net. 
Um, I just don't think that he's going to have that high end offensive capability. I mean, I think in terms of you know, different size and different, you know, the, the way that they look and the way that they play, there is some some element of that. But you know, I think right now you've got your your last two drafts. You've drafted two guys with a ceiling of a number two center. You know, there's a chance maybe Casper could be a, a one, maybe a chance that Danielson could be a one. Not a great one, I don't think. Not not guys that I think would be uh, needle moving first centers. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, you can make that comparison there. I, you know, I think that what I, I just don't think that you know Danielson compares as favorably offensively, and and then you know Casper is a really good two way guy. I, I feel like they're a little redundant more than anything. I think they both do similar things. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much. It's an interesting place, you know. I, I, I I'm fascinated to see where it goes with with Detroit because they've you, you never really get a handle on them. But I'll, I'll be I'll be interested to see. All right, now we go to our friends, the Los Angeles Kings. And our next question comes from Dana. And Dana asks, what do you think about Jakob Dvorak from the Czech? So Jakob Dvorak, big defenseman, um, you know, a guy that I had fairly, you know, reasonably ranked, I thought, in the as, as a, a early third round pick. But Los Angeles went ahead and got him in the second, 54th overall. Um, I also like their picks of, of Cohen Zemer and Matthew Mania, late picks. Um, you know, Hampton Slikinski, an interesting goalie, and Ryan Conmey, um, you know, a, a good late guy that I think probably would have made a lot of noise as a potential college free agent in a couple of years if he wasn't drafted. But Dvorak, big, rangy defenseman, um, you know, needs to work on his feet some more, needs to be a little bit meaner, but he played at the Czech pro level last year. You know, I think there's some serious upside there. He's, he, seems to fit the kind of mold of defenseman that, that, that Los Angeles likes drafting. Um, you know, is he a, is he a, a, a needle moving player? I don't think so. I think he's going to be a complimentary player. Uh, but that's a guy that, you know, Los Angeles, I'm sure is thrilled to get a six foot five defenseman late in the second round, um, with a guy with his, his athletic profile. So, uh, not bad there. All right, moving on to the Minnesota wild. We got one from Joseph here and Joseph asks, Charlie Stramel wasn't on my radar for the Wild and looks like a good bet to play in a depth role soon. Scouting reports I've read diverge on how strong his hockey sense is, which impacts his upside as a bottom six or top six center. Is this an offense-defense dichotomy? What's the deal? Good question from Joseph there because I think Charlie Stramel was one of the more polarizing picks of the first round. Um, clearly, was he was he the best player available on the board, no, he was not. I mean, I think that there, I like Charlie Stramel an awful lot. I think that I like him more than a lot of people in the public sphere do. Um, I am a believer in his upside in terms of his size, his skating ability, um, his versatility. But the hockey sense does concern me. I thought this year at Wisconsin, there were too many instances where he wasn't making plays. There, When he had the puck on his stick, it was off it way too quickly. Um, you know, he wasn't taking his time. If he was taking his time, he was skating it into trouble and it wasn't making good decisions. He has a really good shot. He can pass the puck. He can drive the, the middle. He can do all those things. The question is, is does he do it consistently enough to say this is a guy that's going to do that at the NHL level? He's very difficult to push around. He's got size. He's a Minnesota native. I, you know, I think from that perspective, I like the pick. But you know, would a would a would a high end playmaker like a Gabe Perot have been a better choice there because he was still available? You know, would there have been a, an opportunity to take a, another player? I think that Minnesota saw the size, the snarl that 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 Stramel can play with. He doesn't always play with it, but when he does, he's very effective. 
I think they saw a player that could be a penalty killer. But like, you know, if you're late in the first round, is that the kind of player you want to take in a, as a top 20 pick? Um, often not, especially in a draft like this. But what I will say is that I think Charlie Stramel is a really good stylistic fit for the kind of teams that Bill Guerin is going to build for Minnesota. And I think that that ultimately is what drives you. You don't just make the decision in a vacuum. You don't just take the best player available. You take the player that you feel is the best fit for your franchise within the window of time that you think that player is going to be in there. I think Charlie Strammel's probably got at least a year, maybe two more of college. And then if he maybe does a year at college, maybe goes the AHL route for a couple of years, you know, I just want to see him find his way. But he did not have a great draft season. People that were familiar with his body of work were still willing to give him a chance, but his draft season wasn't that strong. He could be in for a huge sophomore campaign under Mike Hastings in Wisconsin. They are going to have a better team next year. They are going to be uh, a more, much more competitive, and I think they're going to be much more disciplined in terms of how they play defensively and how that matters for, for Charlie Stramel, not just defensively, but how he's going to be able to generate offense as well. I think Wisconsin's going to have the puck a lot more, and ultimately Minnesota's going to have a player that they're pretty happy with. All right, we move on next to the Montreal Canadiens, and we also got a few questions here that, that kind of touch on a number of things. But our first question comes from Matt, and it's a hard one to answer. Why did the Montreal Canadiens not select Matt Vay-Michkov? Why didn't a lot of teams select him? You know, so Montreal, of course, drafts David Reinbacher, top defenseman. Matt Vay-Michkov is exceptional. The thing that makes it a little more interesting that Matt Vay-Michkov did not get selected by Montreal is they probably would have been one of the teams best positioned to have some intelligence on Mitchkov. Nick Bobrov, who is in their scouting department, who is one of uh, just a, an incredibly respected scout and a guy that I think is very smart about all things and all things Russia, who had worked for Scott St. Petersburg for a period of time. If anybody knew what it was going to take to get Mitchkov and, and if it was going to be worth it for them, it's probably him. Um, I think part of the reason also Mitchkov definitely, uh, you know, not definitely speculation is that he, he preferred American teams. Um, I think he would have been satisfied going to a Montreal or someplace like that. However, he, you know, I don't necessarily know that that was going to be the right fit for him. You know, Mitchkov with the spotlight of Montreal, with all the scrutiny he's under, you know, I think that that's another place where you say, is this the right fit for our franchise? On top of that, you look at when you have your top two forwards as Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, who are, you know, undersized relative to their positions. That's another place where you say, can we, can we continue to load up on players like that? Does, does he make one of those other players expendable? Um, and then you also have to wait. And I don't think that the, that the Montreal Canadiens are really interested in waiting those three years when they've got to start trying to put things together. I think David Reinbacher will, could potentially be there sooner. It's not a guarantee, uh, but I think that's, a you know, ultimately there are a lot of reasons probably why they didn't want Mitchkov, um, but not the least of which, you know, they, if they, if they wanted the Intel that they needed to get, they had one of the perfect people to get it for them um, in Bobrov. So uh, that's an interesting one. No question about it. We'll be talking about that for years to come. So this, uh, we go back to the Reinbacher question here, and this one comes from Chris, and he asks, who's going to have the better NHL career, David Reinbacher or Axel Sandin Pelica? Oof, man. Well, 
I just refer to my list and I had Reinbacher ahead of ASP on the list. Um, I had him as the number one defenseman in the draft. I think that he has the size, the mobility, um, you know, to be a long-term defenseman. I think there's at least a, an outside chance that he give me a top pairing defenseman. I don't see top pairing upside for Axel Sandin Pelica. I do see top four upside for him. I see a guy that could be a, a dictating playmaker, but I don't see um, him being, uh, you know, a, a potential number one. So I think the ceiling on Reinbacher is the separating factor. And to me, he'll be the one that has the better NHL career. I think they're both going to be fine defensemen. I think they're both going to play. But Reinbacher, at least at this point, uh, looking like the guy that, that probably makes the biggest impact in the NHL. All right. Our next question comes from Vince, who perceptively deduced that Montreal picked many overagers from the fourth round right to the end of the draft. Was it because of a big drop off with the depth of this draft? That's a good question. And I think that it's actually more partial strategy. Um, I think more teams are going after second and third year eligible players. One, they have more information on them. They're a little bit easier to project at that age. Two, you know, I think that they also, you look at guys that they took and they're guys that have longer term draft rights. You're starting to see fewer and fewer CHL players as those late round picks because their draft rights expire in two years. So teams want to have that longer timeline. So they'll draft the kid that's in the USHL that's going to college for a couple of years. They'll draft the European that they're going to have the rights to for four years. Those are going to be the players they pick later. So that I think has much more to do with it than the depth of this actual class. I've also talked to scouts more recently that says, you've got a better book on these guys. You've seen them for two years. You've seen how they've progressed. If you know that the progression is real, then why not take a chance? You get guys like Luke Middlestat, who had a strong second half of the season, who played really well in the playoffs, and they played um, exceptionally well in the tournament for Minnesota. You say, okay, now we've got a bigger body of work, and we can trust that a little bit more. It's not like they took a huge bet on him. They took him in the seventh round um, with uh, with with the 197th pick, or you know. So that is not exactly a guy that you're 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 you know throwing out there as a guy that you think is going to be part of your part of your group long term. Um, you hope, obviously, but I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that CHL draft rights expire, um, and then these even though these guys are older, you still get similar timelines from when you draft them. I mean the the chances of you know Luke Middlestat saying after his junior year of college that he's done that he that he's you know leaving and you know he might be able to turn free agent quicker but at the same time you know I think you're willing to take that chance on a seventh round draft pick if you lose that you know what in the end you lose a seventh round draft pick you might have lost him anyway uh, but I think that that's 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 what's behind players that are second year eligibles, different players like that going later um, because they have a little bit more of a, a timeline where they can be signed. All right. Now we move on to the New York Islanders. My pal Jake has a question about their first pick of the draft and the Islanders didn't get to pick until a while. 49th overall was their first pick. And we go to Jake with that question. Jake asks, what do you think about the Danny Nelson pick and his timetable with the Islanders? So Danny Nelson was picked 49th overall, six foot three center. You know, previously played defense. You know, he's also now you know a big a big center, 
played a bit on the wing this year. Um, he's headed to the University of Notre Dame, and I think that that's uh, he's following the Anders Lee path, uh, which you know obviously led to Anders Lee being the captain of the New York Islanders eventually, um, with his you know going to Notre Dame from uh, the USHL. So Danny Nelson, you know, going to Notre Dame, um, he's going to really round out his game. He's going to be a good two way center. Um, you know, I think he's at least three years away. There's so much more development that he needs. I think that was evident throughout this year at the national team program. There was some first round of buzz about him. There were some teams that we thought maybe could go because he's a bigger player. He's an athlete. Um, you know, he showed flashes of skill last year. I think his scoring is really going to have to pick up. Um, I think that's going to be something at Notre Dame. They're a more defensive minded team. You know, hopefully his skills kind of pop a little bit more and they allow him to produce at that level. But that's, you know, Danny Nelson, I think is a, was a great pick at 49th. I think the value there is tremendous for a guy that was getting at least a little bit of first round buzz throughout the year. Um, and you know, New York has not had a lot of picks. They haven't had a lot of, you know, they didn't have another one after that until 113. So it's been hard for them to, to make a splash. Um, and they've also, you know, traded some picks away and, and traded some prospects away. So they don't have a very strong prospect pool. And Danny Nelson, you know, I didn't put him on the list, but you could certainly make the case that he's could quite possibly be their new number one prospect. Um, you know, I think they still have some guys that are a little further along in their development. They're going to make a bigger impact sooner, uh, which is why I didn't put that number one designation on him. But I mean, really, Danny Nelson uh, is a big time player for the Islanders in a year where they just did not have a lot of picks and, and certainly didn't have anything early. So good for them. All right, moving on to the New York Rangers. We're going to fly through a few of these here. Um, and this one comes from at NYR's Rangers. Gabriel Perot was ranked 11th on your list. How many teams will regret passing on Perot? I really thought Perot would be a top 12 or 15 pick after his under 18 World Juniors performance. So, yeah, so he goes to 23rd. And I think really there are going to be a lot of teams that are, are, are kicking themselves for not drafting him because I think he's one of the most intelligent players. But the reason that he probably slipped not a big guy, doesn't play with a ton of intensity. Um, you know, that's that's what I think rubbed off on people a little bit more. He's without the size, his skating is only okay, but he's highly intelligent, highly skilled. I did list him as the new number one prospect um, for the Rangers. By the way, the, the player that I couldn't remember the name of was Vitaly Kravtsov. I don't know why I couldn't think of it, but now that I see the Rangers logo, immediately it pops to mind. Uh, but I do think that Gabriel Perot uh, has an opportunity to be a top prospect for this team. He's going to probably go to college for two to three years. You're going to have to wait for him. He's got to get stronger. Physical development is probably the most important thing that Gabe Perot needs right now because he thinks the game at an NHL level. He makes plays at an NHL level. There's a lot to like about his game. I think he's going to be a good one. As far as how many teams are going to regret not taking him, you know, it all depends on how the guys that they picked did, you know, and, and there are going to be teams that are going to say, well, we didn't get this, but we got this and we're really happy with that. Um, so it's always tough to play that game, but I do think Gabe Perot is a, a great pick for the Rangers and will ultimately be a great fit for them. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Now we go to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we're getting close to the end here. So thanks for sticking with us. And if your favorite team hasn't been covered yet, hopefully somebody asked a question for you. But I am going in alphabetical order, so keep that in mind. All right, John asks, I've seen the Braden Yeager pick called safe compared to other options like Moore or Perot. What is your thought on the upside and fit? How far away is he? You know, honestly, I don't. I never saw the Braden Yeager pick as safe relative to the players that you mentioned. I think that all those guys were kind of in the same range. Um, when you look at my list, you had 
Moore, Perot, or Perot, Moore, um, and then you had uh, you had Jaeger there at 14 for me. So he actually goes right where I had him uh, ranked uh, to the Penguins. And you know, I don't think he's. I don't think it's a safe pick. I think you know, would I have taken Moore or Perot first? Yes, that's why I listed them ahead of him. But at the same time, I think that you get a lot of offensive value with Jaeger. He's a highly competitive individual. He has two-way capabilities. He's not a big guy. His skating is adequate. His his skill is is very high end. I think that you know he is the new number one prospect for the Penguins. Not a high bar to clear. Uh, but, you know, I, I do put him over Owen Pickering, who they picked in the first round last year. I think that he has a chance to be, you know, a number two center. Uh, I think he has a chance. If if not a center, he's going to be a, a scoring winger. Um, I don't necessarily know if he has the size and, and pace to, to combination to be the center in the NHL. But I like the Jaeger pick a lot. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I had guys ranked ahead of him that went later. That to me is kind of splitting hairs. It's my preference versus theirs, and and I think that what they did by getting a player like Jaeger, this is a prospect, the kind of prospect that the Penguins haven't had in a really long time. I mean, they they give draft picks away like it's going out of style, and now they get a guy like you know like Braden Jaeger, who's the kind of guy that they've passed over because they didn't have picks before. So I think it's a good pick. I think it's a great place for them to be. All right, now we go to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they were the authors of one of the most surprising picks of the first round, and Matt asks me just that. Matt asks, were you surprised by Toronto's first-round pick? What are your initial thoughts about the reasoning behind it? Well, all right, so I had Easton Cowan, 70th on my list. Uh, He goes to the Toronto Maple Leafs in a very shallow draft for Toronto. They only had three picks. They had 28, 153, 185 when it was all said and done. Easton Cowan goes, and the reason that I was surprised by this pick, I wasn't surprised that there were teams that really liked Easton Cowan because Toronto was not alone in that. Easton Cowan had a great playoffs with London. He had a really good second half of the season. He's tenacious. He works hard. The question is, is at 5'10", with, you know, skates fine, competes well, is that enough? Does his skill carry him through? Does his skill make him, you know, a first round caliber talent? The thing about Toronto is they weren't going to pick again until one, you know, way later in the draft. You know, they they ended up, their next pick was Hudson Malinowski out of the AJHL at 153. Easton Cowan there at 28. What struck me about the pick was that it was, it felt like it was against type because we, we know that, we know that Kyle Dubas is gone. He's not with the team anymore. And we know that a lot of the people that he worked with still are with the team. So you wonder if how much the drafting philosophy would change. Brad Tree Living did get an opportunity to go to the draft board. And so that helped him as well, uh, you know, to, to be part of this process. And I don't know how much that threw whatever through loop. But I think ultimately Toronto picked the player that they most coveted at that range. I have a hard time seeing that that would have been the guy um, all the way if Kyle Dubas was still there. I just felt like it wasn't much of a pick. It wasn't, you know, much of a swing. Um, And to me, I, I, you know, I just, I I was a little surprised. And I think that it was off the board for a lot of people, not just the public scouting community. There were a lot of people that liked Easton Cowan, but it was off the board. There were, there were most people that you talk to, what were some of the most surprising picks? Easton Cowan is a pretty frequent one. And I don't want this to come off as, you know, a slight to Easton Cowan, who I think, you know, he didn't choose where he got to be picked. Now he's got to do all the work to, to live up to the pressure of that pick. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's in a position 
now that he put himself in that position by his strong second half in his playoffs. So let's see where he takes it. But to me, I was very surprised. I thought the, you know, the Penguins had, or the Redway, sorry, the, the Maple Leafs have their process. They stick to it. And uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see if it all pans out. All right. We are moving on once again to the St. Louis Blues. And this is a team that had three first round draft picks. And this one comes from at we went blues. And the question is thoughts on the blues prospect pool after this draft. Well, St. Louis's prospect pool over the last two drafts has gotten a significant influx of talent. Um, love the pick of Dalibor Dvorsky at number 10. Um, I, you know, if, if you had me do it between him and Nate Danielson for Detroit, Dvorsky would have been the easy decision for me. I think that he's a, a heavy two-way center that makes uh, a lot of plays and has a goal scorer's touch. Love the game of Otto Stenberg. You know, he's a center wing. I, I don't think he's a play center at the NHL level, but he's got tenacity. He's quick. He's skilled. He makes plays. I just, I like what he brings to the table. And so that's going to be fascinating to watch him. And then, you know, Theo Lindstein, I, I don't think he's a first-round defenseman, but I do think that he's a, a quality defensive prospect. He is a low offense, great defensive player. Um, you know, typically you don't see those guys go. You got Quinton Burns, who's a, a heavy hitter. Yuri Pekarczyk, who has got really good upside. I mean, a guy that was a late riser throughout the year. You know, anybody that saw him throughout the year really started to come away even more excited about him. So, you know, they 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 made some great picks, but now you've got, Dalibor Dvorsky, who I, you know, could potentially be the number one center for your team long term. He's got that level of upside. It's, you know, I don't know that that he'll necessarily hit it. You've also got Jimmy Snuggerud, who you drafted last year, who I think has far exceeded the value of the draft slot that he was taken in. And so now you've got at least, you know, kind of two new centerpieces of your next wave of young forwards. You already got Robert Thomas. You know, you've got other players that are going to be in your your franchise longer term, but now you add guys like Dvorsky and Snuggerud. So I'd say that the Blues are are well on their way. They also got Zach Dean in a trade last year um, as well. So you get, uh, you know, in the Barbashev trade, they got Zach Dean and they have options and they've got younger guys like Jake Neighbors. And so I think that St. Louis's prospect pool is about as healthy as it's ever been, um, you know, in the last several years. Cause you think about all the years they were competing for spots and now they actually have a roster that not only can compete for them that uh, they can just kind of move uh, they they'll compete. And then also, you know, be this next wave of talent. That's going to be able to filter in with the guys that are part of the Stanley cup core uh, that are still around. So I think St. Louis is in a phenomenal position of where they're at. All right, moving along, we are going to go over to the Washington capitals and they had a very nice draft themselves. And I think a lot of people were, curious about this question from penguin seven so penguin seven your question was why do you feel so many teams passed on andrew crystal who went 40th overall to washington i'd been trying to brace listeners of this podcast for a while that i didn't think andrew crystal was going to go in the first round um, most of my mock drafts except for one he did not go in the first round and the reason that he didn't is it's strictly you know size i think there's concerns about his skating and one thing that i heard a bunch is if he doesn't make your top six can he play anywhere else for you and my answer to that is probably not um but i do think that he has the skill the hockey sense the execution to be a guy that that does produce at that level that that can be a, a top six guy a lot is going to have to go right. 
the right time, you know, timing, situation, all of that. It's really hard to get a top six role in the NHL roster, especially so when you're undersized. And so that's why I think Crystal slipped in the second round. I don't think that was unforeseen. I think most teams had him listed at that range or lower. Um, but, you know, he was a guy that I had 24th. I love the value. I think that getting both Ryan Leonard and Andrew Crystal gives the Capitals two of the premier offensive talents of this class. You've got a, a high-end scorer in both of those players. you got guys that can move pucks, that can make plays, that have great hands. You know, so I love the bet that they, they're making there, and I thought that those guys were were not necessarily the, the prototypical picks that we've experienced from Washington. They haven't had many opportunities to pick this high, um, but they do, and I think that they did well. I think that was a great place to be, and now they got to be thrilled to have Andrew Crystal and see what he's able to do. But really, the, the, you know, the new franchise centerpiece in terms of prospects is Ryan Leonard. All right. We got a couple of generals as we got through all of our teams, but a couple of general thoughts, and uh, we'll, we'll rip through these real fast. And this one is from Holger, and this is the question is, were there any late-round gems that you thought teams walked away with? Well, I mentioned before that I thought, you know, Riley Height going at the very end of the second round was a good value pick. Um, you know, I think that there were a lot of teams that have to feel really good about how they did in the third round as well. You know, I think that uh, looking at some of the the picks that were in that mid range, you know, I liked the Jacob Fowler pick for for Montreal in that in that range as well. You know, I think one of the the most surprising falls of the draft. I, it wasn't necessarily surprising. I knew he was going to probably go in the third round, but maybe not this low. Was Jaden Perron at Jaden Perron at fifty two on my board? He went ninety fourth to Carolina. Um, I think that's a high value opportunity right there. I think Perron is highly skilled. He's a good skater. He competes. If he goes into North Dakota next year and puts up, you know, some some good numbers, you know, he's putting himself on a much better path. Um, you know, other some of the other ones that I that I liked in the later stages, um, you know, they're I think really in the in the in the fifth and sixth rounds, you know, you're you're just hoping for guys. I thought Eric Polkamp at 132 to San Jose, interesting pick. You know, an offensive defenseman showed some goal scoring off, played for the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders this year. Um, liked him. I like Zachariah Wisdom to the Seattle Kraken as well. Another Cedar Rapids Rough Riders guy. Um, you know, those are the guys that you take bets on, where you're like, hey, they're going to school. We'll see what they we'll see how they develop while they're there. Um, if they pan out, great. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Matthew Mania is another good one, a good offensive defenseman that the Kings got 150th overall in the fifth round. You know, we can go on and on, but those are some of the guys that I think, you know, we're, we're in the top 100 that, you know, or, or, or just outside of it in the case of pull camp and, and wisdom, um, that, you know, I definitely liked and, and saw a lot from, and, and then, you know, to see Jaden Perron go as late as he did to, and the fact that it went to Carolina, which, you know, they are, they're a, a haven for undersized skill players. And boy, I'll tell you, they, they do, they, they've been churning a few of them out. You look at, you look at the success they've had with Seth Jarvis, who was a first round pick, you know, you wonder what, what, what the future is going to hold for some of those other guys. Um, so Hannah asked me to drill it down even further and she asked, what is a mid-round or later pick that you felt was especially good? Not best, but one that grabbed your eye that you personally liked. Um, you know, one of them, one of them that grabbed my eye. Um, and again, you know, I, I'm just curious to see how this one goes. But 
One of my favorite picks of the fifth round actually went to the, the Minnesota Wild, and that's Aaron Pionk, who played for the Waterloo Blackhawks this year. Now, Aaron Pionk is the younger brother of Neil Pionk, who played, plays in the NHL. Aaron took a very winding path. You know, he went through the North American League. He went through Minnesota High School. He went through um, the USHL. And he every step of the way, he got better. Um, and I liked his two-way game. I thought he was a good offensive defenseman. I thought that the way that he played for Waterloo down the stretch this year was exceptional. You know, he's he's now committed to Minnesota Duluth. He was initially committed to Minnesota State, now going to Minnesota Duluth. Um, and, you know, so to see a guy that, Worked his way up. He went through Minnesota High School, then goes to the North American League, played for the Minnesota Wilderness, put up good numbers there. 36 points in 60 games last year for Waterloo. He's a big defenseman. He's got a left shot. You know, he's got some heaviness to his game. As he continues to round out, that's a guy that I think the Wild are going to be very happy with. The other fun fact about him, Aaron Pionk, when he wasn't playing hockey because he had graduated high school and he was, you know, doing his, his classes, so he did he had some extra time. When he wasn't practicing with the Blackhawks, he was actually driving the Zamboni at Young Arena and loves driving the Zamboni. That is how much of a rink rat he is. And uh, and from Hermantown, and you know, of course, you know his family has been in the rink business, and he's been uh, driving the Zamboni, and he felt a little more at home on the Zamboni. You can check out that story that Ryan Sykes wrote earlier this year on Flow Hockey, but that was a fun one. All right, our last question about the 2023 draft, and then I've got one about the 2024 draft, and then we are getting out of here and going on vacation. So here's what we got. Our next question comes from Avco Cup. The final question of the 2023 NHL draft. Let us never speak of it again until the next Q&A, when I'm sure I'll answer more questions about it. But we won't do it until then. Avco Cup asks, who are you most surprised about among the players who went undrafted? undrafted. All right. Well, there's a couple. I had one player from my top 100 not get drafted. That's Gabrielle Stewart's from uh, the WHL. Uh, he was a re-entry this year. I think if he were, maybe if he wasn't playing in the CHL, there might've been a better chance for him to get drafted just because they would have, teams would have had a shorter time period to sign him, which made him a little less attractive. But I love the way he played at the World Junior Championship. I thought he had a great year this season. Every game I watched, he stood out, plays with energy, plays with pop, has some skill. If that's, you know, if your team didn't draft him, you'd say that's a guy that you would absolutely want to get on an AHL contract as quickly as possible so that you can see what you can get out of him. Um, and, and, you know, it, he doesn't have NHL size but I just love the heart that he plays with, the pace that he plays with. That's a guy that I was surprised by. One of the biggest surprises to me, and I asked around about this, and it's not really because you know I didn't have him on the top 100, but I did have him as an intriguing late rounder, and that was Jake Fisher from Creighton Durham Hall. I thought for sure he was going to get picked, mainly because he fit the profile of most you know, the, the types of players out of Minnesota high school hockey that get drafted. He's got size, he's got athleticism, you know, decent two-way game, probably – was able to dictate a little too much in high school, did play for Fargo this year in the USHL. And he didn't produce in his USHL games. And as I talked to more people, that's what made them less surprised that he wasn't picked because there wasn't as much of a performance at the USHL level. So I asked around, I said, if he doesn't play in the USHL, does he get picked? And they thought maybe he does, but it's not a guarantee. And so that's interesting. He'll be playing in the USHL next season. That is a re-entry player to watch for. I think Jake Fisher, under you know, playing against stronger competition, getting better schooling in terms of just how he has to play off of the puck is going to be really important. 
So playing for Fargo next year, I think that that's going to help him go a long way. But I was really surprised just because you look at the, the Minnesota high school players that typically get drafted, and, and Jake Fisher certainly fits that profile. He did not, and ultimately uh, he'll be back in the draft for next year. So unfortunate for, for him but this year, but it's not over as it isn't for any of these players. Even if you go undrafted, we've seen plenty of undrafted free agents make their way into the NHL. But here we are talking about the draft because it's what we do. It's a lot of fun. And now we close it out with one question about the 2024 draft. And if you haven't yet read it, Go to flowhockey.tv right now and read my way too early top 10 2024 NHL draft prospects list. Macklin Celebrini from the Chicago Steel, of course, at the top. Cole Iserman, number two. Number three is Artem Levshunov from the Green Bay Gamblers. And number four is the player that we got our last question about. And this comes from Steven. Chris asks, what are your thoughts on Ivan Demidov and how does he compare to Mitchkov? Thanks for the great content. Great question, Stephen. And Ivan Demidov, we're going to have another Russian situation next year where we're talking about a top-tier Russian, a kind of guy that teams would normally be falling over themselves to draft. And here he is, Ivan Demidov. So let's talk about the player real quick. Highly skilled individual, does a lot of things well with the puck on his stick. He gets to the middle of the ice extremely well. Elite shot, does so much well with the puck. Um, you know, He's a bulldog off of it as well. I think he's aggressive. He had 62 points in 41 games in the MHL this year, uh, 13 points in the playoffs. He was one of the top players in the entire league and, in fact, was the league's most valuable player. Um, he did play for Russia as an underager at the 2022 Holinka Gretzky Cup, the last time we got to see any Russian team uh, playing and completing a tournament. Um, and he also played as an underager on the Youth Olympics team um, in 2022. So he is a sensational talent. Um, in terms of how he compares to Mitchkov, he's built a little different. I think he's a little sturdier. I think he does a little bit more in terms of you know protecting the puck and making plays um, under con with contact. But I don't think he thinks the game at as high a level as Mitchkov does, who I think just is – I don't think I've ever seen a player that thinks it that high, so that's not exactly a high bar. But Demidov checks so many boxes offensively. Um, it's why I had him number four. Frankly, he could be number three, could even be number two for all – for all we know, I, I don't, I would not yet put him over Macklin Celebrini, who I just have so much respect for as a player. Um, the other thing about Demidov, just like Matt Vaymichkov, he is his rights are held by Scott St. Petersburg. Um, he is under contract at this point until 2024-25, so not quite as long as Mitchkov. But I would not be stunned to see a potential extension go his way that maybe pushes that back to 2027. I have no intel on that. That's just that's speculation. He is a late 2005 birth date, so you know that's another thing where Celebrini is quite a bit younger than he is as a as a summer birth date and also a 2006 birth date. But Demidov is exciting. Go find the highlights. There are plenty of them. He is very good. He is very fun, and uh, that is going to be a player that we are going to be watching very, very, very closely for the 2024 NHL draft because we are turning the page. We finally finished 2023. I went way over time. I answered all of your questions, but why did I go over time? Because I am going on vacation. We're going to be taking a quick break from the podcast for the next couple of weeks here. Um, you won't be hearing from me for a little bit, but when I get back, we'll be talking about the World Junior Championship Summer Showcase coming up in Plymouth, Michigan. I will be there for that. We'll also talk about the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and we will get the 2024 NHL draft season started. 
But before that, I'm going on vacation. I'm taking a breather. I don't get to do it very often. I'm going to spend some time with the family and hope that you have a chance to do the same. It has been an absolute blast following the 2023 NHL draft all season long with you. Don't forget, subscribe to this podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. Make sure you're following us on YouTube, and you can also watch every single episode on flowhockey.tv or via the Flow Sports app. It has been so fun covering this draft. The Connor Bedard year, we talked so much about it. I cannot thank you enough for being along for the ride with me because it was just too much fun. And so you guys make it great. You ask great questions. You provide great feedback. Don't forget to leave a kind rating and review. If you really like the podcast, you want to see it continue, you want to see us continue to thrive, leave us a kind rating and review. It really does help, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. Let us get up those charts and let everybody know about the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. I mean, we are just having a blast here. So anyway, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Huge thanks to Tyler for producing. My thanks to you for listening and for all of those of you who ask questions. And after a long, long draft season, I'm finally signing off. So we'll see you in a few weeks right here on Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.